If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter number 11. I hope that you have a Bible that you can read out of and study along with us in this message. It is so important that we teach and that we preach and that we exhort the Word of God. The Bible is our faith, it is our practice, it is our means of instruction. So the book of Romans chapter 11, beginning with verse 12 and reading through verse 22. The reading is a little lengthy. Be patient, but follow along in it. Romans 11, beginning with verse number 12. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation or to jealousy, them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall be the receiving of them, but be the life from the dead? If the first fruit be holy, the lump is holy. If the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, Wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold therefore the goodness and the severity of God. On them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. We want to use that 22nd verse as our text and speak on the subject this morning of the goodness and the severity of God. The goodness and the severity of God. There are two common misconceptions about God in our world today. Now, there are many misconceptions about God, but there are two major misconceptions about God in our world today. Misconception one is God is love only. God is love only. That is a misconception conception. There are those who believe that God would never do anything to hurt anybody. 
He's too good to do that. Thus the philosophy, if something bad happens, the devil did it. If something good happens, God did it. God does not send storms, calamities, sickness, or death upon us. All of these come from the devil. God is not the God of vengeance and anger, only a God of love. I have in my ministry heard this statement many, many times, that God never sends anybody to hell. Man sends himself to hell. But what saith the Scripture? Matthew ten twenty eight. Fear not them which kill the body, and are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I related to you some time ago that I was listening one day to a television and watching a television religious program and the speaker was the father of Joel Osteen. This is before Joel Osteen hit the limelight and before he ever preached a sermon or whatever he does when he stands to preach. But Joel Osteen's daddy was preaching on Job and he said, Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, now congregation, you need to understand that Job had lost all of his children and he wasn't thinking correctly. Actually, what Job should have said was, the Lord giveth and the devil taketh away. He believed that. A lot of folk believe that. It's a misconception that God is love only. The other misconception is God is wrath only. Some see God as a sovereign tyrant who is mean, dangerous, and judgmental. He's a God who frowns all the time. He's a God who's out to get you. He can only show disfavor. He sits on a throne of judgment just waiting for a person to make a mistake so he can punish them and send them to hell. Nothing good comes from God, only that which is brutal. But what saith the Scripture? In the book of James 1.17, every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The truth is, God is both love and wrath. Our text says that. Verse 22 says that we're to behold the goodness and the severity of God. He is both good and he is also severe. Our text is illustrated by God's relationship with two kinds of people. 
namely the Jews and the Gentiles. You cannot read the 11th chapter of Romans without seeing that. God is dealing with the Jews and he's dealing with the Gentiles. You know, there was a time, especially over in the New Testament, that the whole human race was divided into two groups, Jews and Gentiles. Now we have them divided into many different groups and many different categories. But the text is illustrating God's relationship to these two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is what Romans 11 is all about. Would you be patient while I share with you what Dr. Gill had to say about it? Dr. Gill was the predecessor of Charles Spurgeon at the Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle in London. One of the greatest geniuses of scripture the world, I think, has ever known. John Gill, he wrote a commentary on every verse in the Bible. I have his commentaries And many times when I'm stumped on a verse, I always go to John Gill because he always had something to say about every verse in the Bible. He takes that 22nd verse in Romans 11 and the phrase that says, On them which fell severity. Do you see that? Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity. Dr. Gill says the Jews who stumbled at Christ and his gospel and fell by unbelief, God in strict justice and righteous judgment not only destroyed as afterwards their nation and their city and their temple and scattered them abroad in the world to be a reproach, a proverb, a taunt, and a curse in all places but cast them off as his people, broke his covenant with them, took away his gospel from them, and gave up the generality of them to blindness and hardness of heart. That is why the Jews are so adamantly against Jesus Christ being the Messiah. Because of the blindness that God put upon them. And then the other phrase is this, but toward thee, goodness. Paul is preaching to one group one minute, to another group the next minute. He's speaking severity to the Jews, but he is speaking goodness to the Gentiles. Mr. Gill continues... The Gentiles, who not only share in the goodness and the grace of God, displayed in the election of many of them to eternal life in their redemption by Christ, and the effectual vocation of them by the grace of God, but in their church state, they being made fellow citizens with the saints, fellow heirs of the same body, and having a place and a name in God's house better than that of sons and daughters, and therefore under great obligation to fear the Lord and His goodness, and to walk worthy of the vocation wherein they are called in all humility and lowliness 
of mine. Basically speaking, for the last 2,000 years, God has been pouring out His grace upon Gentiles and His severity among the Jews. Let me amplify that if I might. Some of these, if you jot them down, we'll have to move quickly. We've got a lot of material. God's relationship with the Jews is a relationship of severity. Severity. By the way, that little word severity means disfavor and sharpness. God spoke sharply with Israel. But today he speaks with favor to the Gentiles. Keep that in mind. His relationship with the Jews, that of severity. How do we know he's speaking to Israel? Look at the 14th verse of that 11th chapter. Paul says, If by any means I may provoke to jealousy, emulation, that which are my flesh and might save some of them. Speaking of those who were of the same flesh of the Apostle Paul. What does he mean by that? In the ninth chapter of Romans verses 3 and 4, the Bible says this, Paul speaking, I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul was a Jew. He's speaking to some Jews in the 11th chapter of the book of Romans. And he defines them, verse 4, who are Israelites. So much for their identity. What was God's judgment on them? Back to chapter number 11, verses 7 and following. Romans 11, verses 7 and following. In verse 7, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them, the Jews, ladies and gentlemen, he's speaking about the Israelites here, according as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Even David the psalmist said in verse 9, Let their table, that is the Jewish table, be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. He furthermore said in verse number 10, Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bowed down their back all way. The identity, it's Israel. Their judgment was fulfilled very quickly. I mentioned three things. Number one, the fall of Samaria by the Assyrians. That happened in 721 B.C. The result of that was the dispersion of the ten northern tribes of Israel. They were all scattered everywhere, running for their lives, and became known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. 
Secondly, there was the captivity of the Babylonians in 586. I mentioned that to you last Sunday morning. And the Israelites were in bondage to Babylon for 70 long years, cut off from the temple and cut off from their homeland. The third was the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 A.D. when Titus led the Roman armies into the city and devastated it and tore it apart. And the Jews came under the dominion of Rome. Judgment. Behold the severity. The severity. God's relationship with the Jews was that of severity. However, God's relation with the Gentiles is goodness. In that 22nd verse, the text, Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, which we've just mentioned, and toward thee, Gentiles, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. That word, severity. And we'll look at it in a moment. But God's relationship with the Gentiles, quite differently, was it not? We know he's talking about the Gentiles because in that 11th chapter of Romans, verses 12 and 13, Now, if the fall of them, that is the fall of the Jews, be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office, even as God was severe with the Jews, He was gracious and good to the Gentiles. That's their identity. What about their blessing? Back to the ninth chapter of Romans, verses 30 and 31. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, and we sure weren't following after it when God saved us, my dear friends, have obtained the righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, that's a different story, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness, the blessing of and the goodness of God toward the Gentiles. Was it fulfilled when the coming of Christ? I believe so. For in that glorious book of John's epistle, that great book according to the gospel of John, the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse number 12, he came unto his own in verse 11. He, Christ, came unto his own, and his own received him not. The Jews would not have him. But as many as received him, the Gentiles, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. That is their blessing. So then we see both attributes of God in our text. He's a God of goodness. He is a God of severity. And by the way, God does not change. 
Let's look this morning at the severity of God presented in Scripture. What does the Bible have to say about God exercising severeness? Not just to the Jews, but to people today who do not know the Lord and never will come to know the Lord. Severity, the Greek word is apotomia. It means to abruptly cut off. To abruptly cut off. It means extreme judgment. More clearly, it means sharpness. Sharpness. Now, sometimes my mother, when I was growing up, spoke to me in goodness. And she'd say, Dan, honey, come here just a minute. But there were other times when I angered her and she said, Daniel Watts, get out here. Boy, it got sharp then. There's a difference in goodness and severity. And God is both. In the book of Numbers, jot the reference down. 11 verse 33 The wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. A blow, a slaughter, a stroke, carnage. In the book of Exodus chapter 22, verse number 24. And my wrath shall wax hot. God is speaking in that passage. Listen. I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse number 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. He is an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. And in Hebrews twelve twenty nine, our God is a consuming fire. Not a comfort fire but a consuming fire did you know that's the God we serve in this church there's no other God he doesn't play second fiddle to any deity he's God almighty could I give you if time permits Three illustrations. Those are the scriptures that substantiate that God is a severe God. A God of severity. I would point you and you turn to these. Go over to the book of Genesis chapter number 6. Genesis chapter number 6. The flood in Noah's day. A God of severity. Genesis chapter number 6. Please notice the reading of verse 5. And may I say this to you, when you're reading God's word, 
He means exactly what he says. You don't have to wonder, well, now I wonder what God must have had on his mind. You know what he'll have on his mind? Just read his Bible. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Look at verse number 7. And the Lord said, now God is speaking here, my dear congregation. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. And then in verse number 12 and 13. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And in verse 13, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And verse number 17, God is still speaking. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. Noah preached for 120 years, but it fell on deaf ears. He built a boat showing his faith in God's promise of destruction. Still, the people would not prepare. The judgment came. It has been conservatively estimated by those who have done a research on this, and I concur with them wholly. There were probably as many people on the earth in Noah's day that are on the earth today. God drowned them all. Think of it. The reason I'm saying think of it is because sometimes we read the Bible without thinking. Do you realize what that means? God drowned them all. Now, Oprah Winfrey said, that's not the God I serve. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you never meet the God of Oprah Winfrey. Think of it. You say you're moving slow, preacher. reason I am is I want you to think about it. The men, the women the children, and the babies. God destroyed them all. The door of the ark was sealed. you know why God did that? So that it could not be opened to let anyone in. They all drowned. What a demonstration of the severity of God. Drowning 
is a terrible death. And sometimes we get accustomed to the fact that somebody went swimming or somebody was on the boat or the wind turned the boat over and we say, oh, it was a terrible, terrible thing. That boy, he drowned. And we're so alarmed. And we should be over anybody that's drowning. But just one person drowning gets our attention. All of them drowned. All of them drowned. The severity of God. Second illustration. You say, well now, what about these illustrations? Where they come from? They come from the mouth of God. This is God's Word. You say, do do you folk believe that in this church? With all of our heart, the Bible is the Word of God. The fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, chapter 19 of the book of Genesis. A few pages away if you were in chapter 6. Over to chapter number 19, verses 12 and 13. And the men who the scripture plainly explains were the angels that God sent down to rescue Lot. The men said unto Lot, Have you here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters, whatsoever thou hast in this city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. Look, if you would, please, at verses 23 and 24, 25. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar, and the Lord... And the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. Verses 27 And following, Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. Burning. is a terrible way to die. Amen? Burning is a terrible way to die. God poured out fire from heaven. And it literally burned the people alive. One of the choice institutions I attended to get educated biblically was Hardin-Simmons University. There was a reason why we called it Hardin-Sinners University. 
My professor stood up and he was explaining this event. He said, now you need to understand that there probably was a volcano nearby. And every once in a while that volcano would erupt. And on this particular day, the volcano erupted and lava came out. And many of the people died. No, God reigned from heaven fire. Did you read that? Are you ready for that? Can you stand on that? When you get ready to breathe your last breath, can you stand on that? God said it. And I believe it. Technically speaking, there's not a probably a dozen people in Tyler, Texas that really grab that and believe it with all their heart. God poured out fire from heaven. It literally burned people alive. We're talking about severity. They couldn't get away from the fire. It consumed them all. Everybody was burned to death except Lot and his two daughters. And Mama, instead of trying to get out, was too busy looking back. Didn't pack enough bags to take with her out of Sodom. God turned her into a pillar of salt. Brother Cozart, do you really believe that? Yeah, I do. With all my heart. Our attention has been drawn to California during the last several weeks. California has been on fire. It's one of the worst forest fires, wildfires that that state has ever experienced. Not only are businesses being burned up, people are being burned up. The country is being toasted and laid bare and everything is burning up and there's not enough power to put the fire out. The other illustration is the formation of the golden calf. In the book of Exodus chapter number 32. Let me read for you verses 7 through 10. The Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people which thou broughtest up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They've made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereto unto it. These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone. That's interesting. It's kind of like Moses was trying to calm the Lord down. Now, don't, don't, Lord, don't, don't lose your temper over this. And God said to Moses, let me alone. 
that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I'll make of thee a great nation. In verses 26 and following, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who's on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Who is talking here? The Lord God of Israel. Put every man his sword by his side. Go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. While Moses was in the mount with God, Aaron was forming a golden calf for the people to worship. This so infuriated the Lord that he saw to it that 3,000 people would be slain. Notice, brother slew brother. Men rose up and killed their wives, and friends killed friends until 3,000 were annihilated. It was a bloody occasion, but it was to demonstrate the severity of God. Anybody want to argue that with me this morning? That God's not a God of severity? I'm glad we don't have to say, let's go and we'll pick up with this next Sunday. Let's finish it out while we're here. Let's look at the goodness of God. Okay? <laughs> Behold the severity of God. Let's behold the goodness of God. And that little Greek word, goodness there, is translated kindness of God. The kindness of God. The goodness of God presented in Scripture. Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see, the Lord is good. Psalm 52, verse 1, The goodness of God endureth continually. Psalm 86, verse 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. In Psalm 100, verse 5, The Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting. In Psalm 106, verse 1, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And in Ephesians 2, 4, and 7, But God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in, notice, in his kindness. It is translated kindness there. It is the same word translated goodness, the goodness of God in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I would point you, number one, to God's selective goodness. God's selective goodness. Before the foundations of the world, God selected. God chose. God made a selection. 
in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 1, verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And in Romans chapter 9, and we were back over toward 11, where we were reading from originally, in the ninth chapter of uh, the book of Romans, verses 15 and 16, the Bible says this, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. How good is our God to have mercy upon us even before we were born. It was not based upon any good that we did because we were uncreated at the time of the selection. It was out of God's sovereign mercy and loving kindness that he chose us. And he did not have to do it. In that 11th chapter again of Romans verse number 21, the Bible says this, Well, for if God spared not the natural branches, that is the Jews, take heed lest he also spare not thee. That's something to think about. He could have just as easily let the whole world go to hell, but out of his goodness he selected his own to be saved. His selective goodness. Aren't you glad he chose you? You say, well, I tell you what, I chose him first. No, you didn't chose him first. Okay. We love him because what he first loved us. That's why we love him. And that leads us to this point. Not only his selective goodness, but his sacrificial goodness. Pay attention. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now there are those who take this verse and try to make it say something that it does not say. It does not say that God loved everybody in the world and wanted everybody to be saved, so he sent Jesus and Jesus died for everybody. That's not so. That's not so. Let me ask you a question. What did the term world mean to Nicodemus? John 3.16 is in a context of what Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. You hear the sound thereof. Canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. He was still speaking to Nicodemus when he said, God so loved the world. What did the term world mean to Nicodemus? Not what you think about it. What did it mean to Nicodemus? i tell you what it meant. He meant the Gentile world. The Gentile world of God's elect, the Gentiles that would be saved by the marvelous grace of God while the Jews were being blindfolded and could not see. 
And Nicodemus said, how can these things be? How good of the Father to send His Son to die in our place on the cross of Calvary. He did this in spite of us. Romans 5, 8, God commendeth His love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And thirdly, His seeking goodness, His selective goodness, His sacrificial goodness, His seeking goodness. In the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John, verse number 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And in the 15th chapter of the same book of Luke, chapter 15, verse number 4, it says this, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost? Until he find it. Since there's none that seeketh after God, how good it was of our gracious God to come looking for us. He looked and continued to look until he found us. What a wonderfully kind and good Savior. The last point in this message, always a time of rejoicing. Preaching finally got down to the last point. In that 11th chapter, we want to close out with what he says again. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which felt severity, but toward the goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou shalt be cut off. God's goodness... Let me say this, listen to it, and don't, 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 don't go to sleep. God's goodness to us is based on our continuance. Another good word for that is perseverance. When the Lord saves an individual, that individual will persevere and continue in the things of God. Perseverance is the acid test of our salvation. Now, folk, my goodness, please listen. Our continuance, our perseverance is not the cause of God's goodness to us. Rather, it is the fruit of God's goodness to us. We don't earn the goodness of God by perseverance. We don't buy God's anger off By persevering. Our continuance is not the cause of God's goodness, but rather it is the fruit of God's goodness. We love Him because He first loved us. Faith is God's gift to the elect. You wouldn't have faith, and I wouldn't, had not God given us faith. Faith is God's gift to the elect, and the elect reciprocate that faith by believing. Repentance is God's gift to the elect. And the elect reciprocate that repentance. Perseverance is God's gift to the elect. And the elect reciprocates that perseverance. We preserve because he's put preservation within us. If the elect does not reciprocate, it is because God never saved him. 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Why do we persevere? Because God works it in us. Salvation is all of the Lord. The goodness and grace of our Lord is not to be taken lightly. For those who believe and continue to believe they're blessed with goodness, unbelievers will face the severity of God. Unbelievers will face the severity of God. Might I read this final few verses to substantiate that? Revelation chapter 6 verses 12 through 17 And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And this is speaking about future judgment on planet earth. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she's shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath. Of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, who shall be able to stand. So the God of the Bible is a God of goodness, but he is a God of severity. And your hope and my hope is in the fact that we are convicted of our sinful condition. And we ask and trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. And we start living for Him. And I hope you're doing that every day of your life. I hope I'm doing that every day of my life. You've been very patient to listen to this long-winded preacher. Will you stand please for prayer? Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven.